So that trigger now no longer simply becomes a trigger, it becomes literally a sabotage now that they're choosing. Mm. It's not just what happened to them, it's what's happening in them. And they are now choosing that trigger as a defense mechanism. And because they have their values, they'll go, no, no, I don't want to be somebody who runs away or avoids or hides or blames or scapegoats. I want to be somebody who faces these truths because in facing truth, in facing the conflict, I mature. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. So with me in studio, we have from Next Step Counseling in Aurelia, Craig Brannon. Craig, we know that conflict is inevitable in relationships, not just possible, it's going to happen. So for you, how has the role of values been such an important tool in diagnosing this? That's a great question. Values teach us that everything we consider to be important to us, uh, we become. So our values literally define who and whose we really are. Values tell us what is worthy and what is worthwhile in our life. In the book of Matthew 13, 44 and 45, it says there was a, a man who found this treasure and he found it buried. And so what does he do? He sells everything he has. He gives up everything he has to purchase that field because of the valued treasure that was there. And that's what a value is. We will do what it takes. We will spend money. We will give time to whatever is important to us. And that reflects our values. Hmm. From the outset, how would you sort of guide someone determining where their values might be? Well, I have a, um, over the years, I developed a assessment and it looks at eight major areas that help them to discover what's important to them. And in that assessment, the first thing is to be able to identify and clarify what their values are. So I have a sheet of some 50 to 60 values that they highlight, they emphasize. So uh, like acceptability, accuracy, things like uh, frankness uh, or dominance or enthusiasm. So there's these lists that they can go down. And what they have to do is cluster those values together because most people don't think in values. They think, oh, that's just important to me, not really semantically, not realizing that word actually means this is important to me. So then they have to then look each of those words up and define them, and then they look at those values and they say, okay, so how are these important to us? An example would be, let's say somebody would often say, trust is important to me. Okay. So I say to them, okay, if trust is, give me some synonyms that would define trust. And they would then look down at the value sheet and say, oh, trustworthiness, honesty, authenticity, reliability. So then we'll cluster those together. And I say, let's define each of those words. But then let's say, how is that important to you? Why are those values critical to you? Which is the next part of this. So you identify the value, define the words, and then you say, how is that important to you in your life? The next part of that is then, with whom is that important to you? So it's important to say, well, it's important to me, but nobody matures in isolation. We must have community. God has designed us for community. So how is that reflected trustworthiness, honesty, reliability? How do you want to see that lived out? So that could be with a spouse. That could be with a partner in business. And what I expect, they say that everything my wife will do will have integrity behind it. If she doesn't like me, she'll tell me she doesn't like me. Or my partner, he'll be honest with me. 
if he's something between us he's not happy with or she's not happy with, he or she will tell me that. That's trustworthiness. That's reliability. And then we go to the next part. So what don't you like that runs counter to that value? So for instance, with trustworthiness, reliability, or integrity, that would be something like, I don't like it when people lie to me. Mm. I don't like it when people say superficially that they like me, but behind the scenes, they speak ill of me. So that's absolutely critical that somebody can define not only what's important to them, but what they don't like that runs counter to that value. Could you elaborate a little bit more on how someone can can understand the dark side of what's important Mm -hmm. to them? Very good. Whether we like it or not, we all have a dark side. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 7. I know the good I ought to do, but that which I hate, I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, I see or I discover, he uses the word heuriskain in verse 21 of Romans 7, I discover within me after deep searching that there is a law that works against my mind that makes me a prisoner to what I do not want to do. So all of us sabotage the very thing we want. In other words, we destroy the very thing we want. So for instance, if somebody says trustworthiness integrity, reliability is non-negotiable to me. How would they sabotage that? Well, they would. They themselves would not tell the truth. Or when they are struggling in a conflict, they would withdraw or avoid in that conflict. We often go against the very things we, we don't want other people to do, do to us. Romans chapter 2 actually says the very areas we condemn someone, we ourselves do those things. And so all of us have an issue within our heart. In James, it says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the battles that war within you individually? You want something, but you don't get it. So everybody has their own unique personal way of sabotaging. And whether we like it or not, we actually develop our dark side. Mm. Every time we don't tell the truth, every time we struggle and we don't admit that, We literally develop, just like we develop values, we develop sabotaging strategies and our dark side. It can make you feel like a bit of a hypocrite. Well, that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) How how do you remain gracious to yourself? Well, that's a great question. I I think the first part is like what 2 Corinthians 11.30 says. Paul the Apostle said, if I'm going to boast... I'm going to boast in all the things that show how weak I am. Mm. You know, one of the things that I've discovered, you know, I'm 56 now, and I've discovered that I am a recovering hypocrite. Mm. I mean, I got to constantly struggle. And if I'm upset with my wife or upset with my kids or upset with someone else, I have the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit, who is a counselor in and of himself. Jesus said in John, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, and we need the Holy Spirit to convince us and to convict us that we are hypocrites, but God is gracious. And so we need to receive that grace and that mercy where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Mm. And we need to turn back to the fact that God is faithful. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs as we do against ourselves and against others. And if he, we, he kept a record of wrongs, nobody could stand. So that's always a reminder to me that how can I go against someone else if God forgives me? And so I need to not just so much self-forgiveness as much as I need to receive 
the forgiveness and receive the grace of God. And if I receive that, how much more should I extend that to my brother or my sister or somebody in the church or my wife or my children? How much more should I do that? And I think that's key. And straight away, the peace of God that does what? Passes my understanding. Does what? Oh, yeah. Guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And mm-hmm. I think that's critical when we when we hold grudges or when we feel like, oh, my goodness, I've, I'm living as a hypocrite and I'm wearing a mask. But then the Lord Jesus, through his spirit, takes that mask off. And when the mask is off, I'm free. Freely receive, freely give. Freely received, freely give. Craig, can we delve into the filter that values play in assisting someone in choosing their response to life situations? Yeah, very good. In, in, in what way? Well, how really, how much does the role of your values play when something frustrating happens at work or when there's a decision to make between two good options? Mm. I love what the scripture says in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the integrity and the character of someone else. When there's a conflict, let's say at work, the first thing the person needs to do is says, what does that say about me? The fact, not what is that person doing to me? So in other words, not not what is happening to me or around me, but what is God wanting to do in me and through me by testing and challenging my values? So for instance, um, I always say to people, never pray for patience. Pray that God will give you opportunities to be patient. So when there's a conflict or a difference, I ask myself, one of my values should be the ability to seek to understand. Mm. So understanding, insight. So if somebody's upset with me at work, I immediately say, what is that saying about me? Why does this person trigger me? What value is being attacked? Because it could be dishonesty. In other words, the person could be wanting me to cut corners or to take cash under the table, or my employee could want me to raise the imp- the price on a particular product to get more points so they can get more income. And so straight away, I need to go, well, actually, that goes against my value of authenticity. So I don't need to go in and stand on a hill and make a big noise to show my that I'm superior. But how can I gently come into my boss and say, you know, my value is that we don't cut corners. And I, I want you to get this income. I think we need money to have this business run. But there are some things that go against my values here. So what is another way we could do this so it's win-win? So we can still go in and have quite an influence when we know what it is we believe. And we don't need to react. One of the things in our values that all of us should have is the Beatitudes. People say, well, where do I get my values from? Well, you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 16, there's a list of values right there. So the Holy Spirit can help us to be able to, of course, be convicted, but we don't need to be triggered. We can be convicted by uh, this, my boss or somebody at work or a colleague is going against uh, my values. But remember, they're first of all going against God's values. So this is not about Craig Brennan. This is not about me defending me, but me representing the Lord. So how do I do that? Well, it says that when we speak, our conversation should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? So that it may win those on the outside. So my values literally give me an emotional, spiritual, cognitive, and relational stability. I don't need to react if I know them. But that takes practice. Mm. So when I mess up at work, when I get lose it with someone, I'm not willing to do this or what you're doing is wrong. Or if I sound like I'm standing on a hill or I'm being superior, I can always go back and say, you know what? How I spoke to you yesterday was not good. 
Now, I still disagree that we should fudge on this price or that we should. It almost seems like we're not telling the truth or we are cheating here. And so I don't want us to do that. But at the same time, I don't want to just come across as accusatory. Here's the way I think we should go. So if my conversation is seasoned with salt, full of grace, I can still hold my values and at the same time be gracious to people around me. Wow. It's challenging. Very challenging because that takes maturity. And I have failed at this plenty of times. I've had to go back and apologize and say, you know, as it says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, the Lord's servant must be able to teach, but he must be gentle. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Why? In the hope that God brings that person to metanoia, to repentance, and to the knowledge of the truth. So that person can come out of the trap of the devil who has taken him in his snare to do his will. So it's not up to me to convert or to change. But what people need to see in all of us that we stand true to our values. We're consistent. And when they say, well, Craig, you said you don't, you know, you want to be understanding and empathy, but you just got upset with that person, immediately I need to say, you know what, you're right. Thank mm -hmm. you for highlighting that. We live in a culture, David, that of the MVP, the, the, you know, the most valuable player. There's only one valuable player as Jesus. And all of us need to be humble and teachable to go, I did fail. Do you realize that truth is a straight line? So if, if, if I failed my values and someone points that out, we need to immediately be able to go, you're right. My values are my scaffolding. They hold me true. And thank you for pointing that out. Because that's, that actually is very humble and teachable. Mm. And people respond well to somebody who's humble and teachable and says, and if you have your values, you actually don't feel ashamed. What you feel is guilt, which is good, but you don't feel ashamed like you're worthless. You actually go, oh, you're right. Thank you. I never held true to something mm. that I believe. And you actually thank that person. It actually gives you encouragement. Right. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. And what does godly sorrow lead to? Repentance. Repentance. And brings what? No, no. Regret. regret. No regret. That's a big one. That's a big one. But if I go, oh, well, you know, if you under only understood the, the day that I had, that's called worldly sorrow. Worldly mm. sorrow is, I'm sorry I was caught. Right. Worldly sorrow is, is shame. I'm trying to cover myself up. But if, see what values do, they hold us accountable, right? Mm -hmm. And we ought to feel that sense of, conviction that we're not holding to them by doing so by the way you become less of a hypocrite hmm. because you're admitting where you failed and when you say to other people i failed in that particular area particularly when they mess up what we have a tendency to do then is say oh, i messed up i failed in that very area now we're showing grace we're not showing superiority we're showing a, a shared understanding but then you show them how you got it right by god's spirit god's word god's grace Hmm. Craig, can we look into the, the triggered notion? You said, you mentioned at one point, we can, we want to be convicted, not triggered. And what happens when someone strikes a chord in you and it, it's like a bomb, you know, hmm. it's like, this is an area from your past where someone didn't treat you right. And you're trying to act in conviction, but hmm. this trigger has just brought up some PTSD. Hmm. What's, hmm. what's going on there in terms of the value? Well, You'll notice values are one of 20 strategies. You know, so our bodies have systems inside of them. We have 15 systems materially. So our respiratory system is a, is a system, our cardiovascular system. So we have 15 material systems. So whenever I'm triggered, 
why am I triggered? Trigger is an emotional response. That's where I've emotionally been moved. And that's what emotion does. So whenever I'm triggered, it's because emotion has triggered me, has moved me. That's what emotion means, to be to be moved. But it's often based upon attachment. So you go back to childhood attachment, and you'll notice that a lot of, well, not a lot of, I would suggest 99.9% of individuals who are triggered, you'll find that trigger somewhere back in their first 18 years of life on how they responded either to their parents, their siblings. That's massive. So a trigger... Um, is often a complex trauma, not just a PTSD, but a complex trauma that has taken years to mature and mature in a, in a destructive way, but it still is matured. So what does that create? Defense mechanisms. Mm. When people are often triggered, they go to what I call a castle of contempt, a castle of cynicism, and a castle of a critical spirit. And what they don't realize, they're actually in a dungeon of despair. Mm. Every castle has a dungeon or a prison of pessimism. And they get stuck in there. And that cycle between shame, guilt, being triggered, that castle, and so they never get out of that castle. It's not a wall. It's literally a castle where people live. So what I do is I knock on the, the drawbridge of that castle, and I say to the client, listen, you don't have to drop the drawbridge. But can we talk about why you're triggered? And so I have them give me the list of the triggers. And in those triggers, I help them to find what values were violated growing up. Wow. Where in their attachments, instead of having closeness and a secure base to go back to, they often felt either they were taking care of their parents or a parent or a parent abdicated their role, so they either are uh, abused or abandoned, or they had good parents, but they never worked through challenges together. So I, I look at where they, they could be avoidant, they could be disorganized, they could have anxious and building attachment, and say, well, what, what are you actually looking for now? Because mm. we can't always change the past. We can't. Right. It, right. it is what it is. But through radical acceptance, we go, okay, so that did happen, and it has affected you neurologically, spiritually, cognitively, emotionally, relationally, but do you want to keep living there? Because how's that working? It's not working for you. So how do we change that? Let's go back to our values. Who and whose do you really want to become now? And there, there's that deep dive. Now, the trigger is then now the sabotage. So instead of the trigger being, well, that's what's happening to me, no, no, the trigger's happening in you, and you can change it. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 14, is a beautiful verse. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For each one is tempted by their own desires. Now, that word own means that which is private to that individual. So I look at what's unique to that individual, because we're not all triggered the same. Each person's personality will uh, an attachment style and strategies will indicate how they're going to actually be triggered. So I look at attachment, I look at personality, and I look at how that is what their defense mechanisms are. And I say, well, how is that impacting you today? And how do you want to be a different person based upon what's important to you today? So that trigger now no longer simply becomes a trigger. It becomes literally a sabotage now that they're choosing. Mm. It's not just what happened to them. It's what's happening in them. And they are now choosing that trigger as a defense mechanism. And because they have their values, they'll go, no, no, I don't want to be somebody who runs away or avoids or hides or blames or scapegoats. I want to be somebody who faces these truths because in facing truth, in facing the conflict, I mature. So the trigger becomes a tension, becomes a conviction, becomes a choice. That's powerful. Well, just 
in, in closing this out, Craig, you know, you've really pointed us back to the scriptures. You pointed us back to the Holy Spirit, which is sort of this framework that you've developed. It all comes out of hmm. how is this a witness to the world? If we as Christians can be self-aware, emotionally intelligent and mature in conflict from our values, how can we be a beaming light? A great question. You know, there's there's a lot of statistics going out that we're, that Christianity is waning in Canada, etc. And I, I don't like statistics. It's like the the story that uh, there's a man being run over every hour in Toronto, and he's getting sick and tired of it. You know, the statistics are uh, they don't help. I have found that when we hold as Christians the only gospel, the only Bible that the unsaved world reads is us. Mm. So if we're living these values, and I found that the unsaved clients, unsaved individuals that, that I talk about to all the time, they want a system that works. That's mm. why there's so many self-help books. They want life to work. And so as I become a beaming light, what happens? I let my light shine before people so that it does what? Glorifies Craig Brennan? No, that they see the light in me and they, it glorifies the Lord and they focuses vertically back to the Lord. And so as I live my values, what, and this is key, when I'm living my values is that I'm open and I let people know where I fail. Mm. We don't do that in our culture well. We need to tell one another, here's where I failed mm. and here's how God got it right. Mm. That's the greatest witness. It says in 1 Peter 3, and again, I understand there's an apologetics conferences that people have, so I don't want to stir people up here, but the greatest apologetic conference is my life. Listen to what 1 Peter says. Set apart Jesus Christ as Lord and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do so in gentleness and respect. What's he talking about there? When you're suffering for doing what is right and you have a great attitude based on your values, mm. that's what interests people. That's the point of the passage. The whole point of 1 Peter is how do I live a gospel-centered life when, not if, when I'm being unjustly punished, when I'm suffering, if it is God's will that happens, when I give an answer for the hope and they say, Craig, how come you didn't lose it? They ripped you off. They hurt you. They said this, yes, but God has paid a deeper price for me. And my natural tendency is to get revenge or to be arrogant or dominant, but God has given me a set of values that I shouldn't be doing that. Mm. And here's how I'm going to change it. Yeah, but Craig, aren't you upset? I'm upset, but I'm taking that to the Lord. And what I've chosen before the Lord by His Spirit is that I want that Jesus's name is more important than Craig's revenge. At the end of the day, I think this is so key with all values to let your light shine. Whose name, at the end of your life, whose name will people remember? It was terrible if people remember Craig Brennan's name. Mm. Oh my goodness. They need to remember the name of Jesus Christ, that God is faithful, that the Holy Spirit filled Craig. That's fine, but they shouldn't be remembering Craig's name. They should be remembering God's name, Jesus's name, the Holy Spirit's name. Hmm. That's good. And they said about Billy Graham, how could somebody become so famous by talking about someone else? Amen. <laughs> That's a, yep. That's what we're trying to do here. Well, thank you so much. Rich conversation as always. Uh, appreciate the, the work that you do. Thank you, Brother David. Thank you. And you can find some of these helpful resources that Craig and I have been referring to when you head to the show notes at davidmanmedia.com. 
Do check out the Culture at a Crossroads archive. You can do that over at davidmanmedia.com or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. Jesus.